Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome back to another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I'm John Shirky here with my friend and my co-host, Jamie Wagner. Jamie, good to see you. You as well. Um, I have been deep in some books to start 2022. Um, I'm like six books in already. I don't know how it's happened. Mostly the, the beautiful thing about having a, a second child is that you're kind of on man, you know, right. You're on man coverage. And so at times my man coverage for our son, who's a month and a half old is just make sure he stays sleeping. So I get to hold him while he's sleeping. I get to read while that's happening. So I've just been really on fire brain wise here in the last six weeks or so, because I've gotten so much new stuff in terms of content. And, uh, I I'm excited about it is what I'm sharing. I, I would be interested to find out what some of our listeners have been able to, and it really wasn't a resolution or a change or anything. It was just a life circumstance that has allowed me to do this thing. And now I'm digging in. So I'm, I'm curious if anybody wants to share what has been a cool change for you because your life circumstances changed. Maybe it was a resolution, maybe something out there has happened that has triggered some new cool stuff going on for you. Love to hear about it. Um, John, what's good with you? Oh, man. Uh, I'm just happy to be here, my man. I I've been sick the last few days. I didn't know if my voice or my heart was not my heart. I knew my heart would make it, but, uh, I didn't know if I was going to make it through this conversation with Chad Christensen, head football coach at Hancock, uh, in small little small town in Minnesota that not too far from where I grew up, but man, I'm just grateful to be able to have the conversation. And, and you know what, it, it's, we were talking earlier offline about kind of the human body. And I've felt so terrible for the last few days. And all of a sudden today, it's like, okay, I'm good enough. I can get there. Right. And there's just this turning point of like, Hey, we're going to keep working at that thing. And this is not a science podcast by any means, but <laughs> man, what a cool thing, even though it was uh, pretty uh, terrible to, to have to deal with some of the symptoms to, to kind of just be aware of like, cause it's, it's probably the most aware I've ever been of a sickness you know, yeah. in terms of like, okay, am I feeling better? Am I feel you know, gauging that and seeing the progress and you kind of tied it into what we do in terms of small things add up, but it's true. Well, yeah. And, and being a parent, right. I, I see these struggles for my little kids on a day-to-day -day basis where it's like, just keep going. Just, you're so close. Just get to the next side. And how, I, I asked the question to you, like, how often have I quit just inches before the turnaround was going to happen. The breakthrough was going to happen. How, how often did I see the, the dauntingness of it and go, I can't put in all that work or that time. And then the realization is it's not necessarily a ton of work. It's not necessarily a ton of time. It's just, am I willing to commit again, you know, one yeah. more time, one more time, one more time. And the body does that automatically. And it's fascinating and amazing. I think part of the conversation we have with Chad is similar in this respect is like, we were really not very good for a really long time. And are we willing to show up again tomorrow? Are we willing to show up again the next day and not necessarily change it a bunch, just change it enough, that small tweak, that small step forward. And now the big breakthrough has happened. Yeah. Incredible conversation. I'm excited to share it with you. Here we go. 
We are now joined by a very special guest, Chad Christensen. Chad, welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Uh, you know, you before we hit record, you're like, hey, I'm glad that, you know, I got to be on. And it's like, well, no, it's our honor. Thank you. So <laughs> we got introduced to you by Jeremy Christensen over at uh, Minnewaska Schools. He's a good friend of ours, and we've done some work with him. And he was just on our podcast, and he said, man, if you can get Chad on, he's an excellent conversation. So uh, thanks for joining us again. Yeah, not at all. I uh, actually know Jeremy for a while when he's over in CGB and then his time over in uh, Minnewaska. So, yeah, it was uh, when he called me and said that he was giving you guys my number. I was pretty excited. So, you are a man after my own heart. You, uh, you're a nine man football coach. And uh, being from where I'm from, some of the stories are similar. You talk about your first five years as a head coach, you had three wins. I was a head wrestling coach for two years. And I went five and 40 something. Right. Um, and every, every match we won was a, was a byproduct of somebody else being in a slightly worse situation than we were in. And then the tide turned. And in the last three years, you guys have done some pretty amazing things, had a ton of success. And I'm just curious because I've had this conversation with a number of coaches that have seen that thing happen, that have seen the tide turn, that have seen something change what was it for you guys? What have, what has brought you to this position where, or maybe let's talk about what the struggle was on the initial side and now what it looks like with some success. Yeah, I think that's probably a good spot to start. Um, when I started down in Hancock, um, we had, I think our nine twelve enrollment number was 60. So, I mean, we're sitting at one of the smallest teams in the state to have football by themselves. Uh, my first year I had 17 kids out. So, it was one of those things you sit there and, and you're the one practicing just because you can't practice offense or defense. Uh, and when we started, it was myself, uh, one paid assistant, and then our junior high coach would help us on uh, on game night. So, I mean, you guys know playing football and stuff, it's really hard to coach individual positions, individual you know schemes, drills. You're so busy looking at the overall thing that uh, it, it's really hard to get kids better. You know, um, but then uh, I, some couple guys moved into town that I got to know from playing town team baseball and uh, just said, hey, uh, you know, I, we need some help. I need, I need some guys. And they ended up volunteering their time. We had four guys come out and, uh, you know, donated their time. Uh, one defensive-minded guy, uh, two offensive guy to buy it, and then one kind of in the middle a little bit. And uh, it, we kind of started running with it. Um, you know, we, we also changed our offense a little bit. We changed the way that we uh, – practice things you know instead of uh being so huge goal oriented of you know this is where this we need to get to otherwise we don't have a chance to hey if we just take this baby steps we'll get there and, and it slowly started getting there for us um you know we changed our offense and from uh our eye which i was used to growing up into a spread offense and you know in hancock we have a lot of kids that are um uh skinny basketball players for lack of a better term and uh you know how what do you do with them they're not going to pound it between the tackles so let's get them out in space and let them use their athleticism and, and use short passing games to become your run game so talk a little bit about the coaching thing because you had mentioned that in kind of our correspondence ahead of time and and I think that's something you know Jamie and I were just talking about before we had you on here where we talked to a lot of coaches and a lot of people say 
you know, we just, we don't have funding to hire coaches. We don't have the resources to bring in more people. Cause I, I'm sure there's not a coach out there listening or a parent even that's saying, Hey, right. yeah, we need more coaches, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll sign up. I'll take more coaches right now because I can have smaller groups and we can teach things. But with more, first of all, comes harder to stay on the same page. And the second thing is, you know, you bring in volunteers. You said you kind of went out and sought out these guys, but how did you go about that process of kind of bringing them into the fold, making sure that they were aligned with kind of your vision for where you wanted to go? Well, a lot of it came down to, you know, our conversations that we'd have randomly and uh, you know, they'd sit there and they'd go, uh, you know, we're sick of hearing how bad Hancock football is. And then finally the, the one main guy that I got going with you that helped me get the other three going, he goes, uh, well, what am I doing to fix it? You know, uh, you can sit there and bash something all you want, but until you actually, you know, pick up your, you know, shovel, whatever you want to call it and get to work, are you really helping the problem or are you just making it worse? And, and that was really the selling point to these guys. Um, you know, the, the one main guy I got was Matt Nesvig and um, he's a Gaylord guy and came up and uh, married a gal from Hancock. So he got vested in the community. And then the other guys were all former graduates of Hancock. So they had some investment already. And then just by talking with them, meeting through them and just saying, Hey, this is where we want to be. Um, I, I think you guys understand this as much as anyone too. It's, it's hard to sit here and brag about yourself, you know? So you, you kind of try to find a si fine line here, but I mean, in reality, what happened is I ended up picking up three extra head coaches. I'm just the one that gets the blame for everything when it goes to the dark side, you know? So, and they love it. They sit there and they go, yeah, you, you let us run our thing. You know, you ultimately have final say, but when we come up to you and say, Hey, this is what we want to try. This is why we think it, we, we hash it out and there it goes. So. That's an amazing gift, right? I think as the head coach, we can get really locked into like, this is where we're going. This is what I'm doing. This is what I know. Like you said, Hey, we were power. I team. That's what I've known since high school. That's what we're going to do. No, who are our kids? What gifts do we have to give them in terms of the teaching side? Can we like, you know, what are our tools that we have in our toolbox to grow these kids? Cause ultimately, you know, and every coach and every leader out there knows this, like you're only as good as they can perform. You're only as good as they can execute. And so if you're saying we're going to be a power eye team, you got a bunch of 165, you know, six, 265 pound wings out there trying to, trying to block people. Like it's not going to go terribly well. Like let's put those guys in space and give them an opportunity to succeed. That's the football specifics of that thing. But my question, and I've had this question with a number of coaches that we work with is how do you onboard people, right? How do you give them yep. the message that this is who we are? We talk a lot about identity. We talk a lot about when we have a firm foundation and who we are and what our identity is. We can play with freedom. We can coach with freedom. We can teach and lead with freedom, but that's not an easy conversation because everybody brings their own stuff. So what, where does that conversation start? I think there's a lot of coaches out there going, yeah, I'd love to bring on volunteers, but how do I get them rolling in the same direction? Yeah. It, the biggest thing is, is you need to know who you are and, and don't change who you are completely to fit your kids. I mean, obviously you're going to have to morph it and whatever else, but you know, we still believe in a power running game. We just do it with three down linemen and a fullback, you know, yeah. and, and our argument was my hundred pound wide receiver is my best blocker on the field because you have to put a guy out there, you know? So if, if, if they're spread out, you know, we still do our, you know, you know, inside power, you know, pitches and stuff like that. So not changing who you are, but changing maybe how you do it. 
And the big thing, and I don't know how familiar you guys were or anybody that's listened to us from Hancock uh, football before I took over, they were definitely uh, a wing it out, throw it around type of team. And so when we went to, uh, you know, we tried to make it a power eye type thing, you know, everybody goes, oh, this is great because that's what the teams that are doing are winning. You know, everyone wants power five down linemen, just pound it down. Um, and then, like we said, we just didn't have the kids to do that. We had a 130 pound tight end. Well, all of a sudden, you, like I said, you put him on that wide receiver. He's your best blocker. He doesn't have to catch a ball. You know, he just has to be that threat. So I, I think that's the biggest thing. And then, like I said, talking with these guys and just saying, hey, here's what our final result needs to be. How are we going to get there? And, and they understood that, you know, ultimately with me being the head coach, it, it comes down to, again, my yay or nay type thing. But when you've got guys that are, you know, intelligent, very capable, you, you trust them. Like, I mean, I brag that we've got one of the smartest coaching staffs, you know, in the state at any level. You know, we make adjustments all the time and our kids have learned how to make those adjustments on the fly. So. No, it reminds me of a conversation we've had before, Jamie, with other coaches and it just reinforces how important it is but you know the, the phrase used was freedom within the objective right and and that's exactly what you're talking about is hey here's the overall objective here's who we are here's who we're going to be and now go be free to do whatever you guys need to do to get us there right and and trust that they're going to do it and that's that's a cool place to get to as a staff um just curious have you had any turnover kind of in the last so once you started to have some success now how much turnover have you guys had and, and how do you deal with that yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, we're still sitting at three plus myself of the original guys that started, you know, getting the stuff going the right way. Um, one of the guys that was with us on board uh, got married and moved down to the cities. And then, um, you know, the crazy thing about this, and this really speaks for my staff, where um, a lot of times we have an assistant that's a teacher in the building. Well, when they move on, uh, I don't, you know, you know, look at Nicollet or Hancock or whatever else there's not a whole lot of reason to be living out in Hancock, Minnesota, you know, so you either got to find a girl cause it's an hour drive before you get anywhere. So, so we've gone through a lot of teachers that have been the assistant position. And um, I asked uh, our assistants, I go, Hey, you deserve to get paid as our assistant. And every one of my assistants goes, no, uh, if, if I keep volunteering, we can hire one more guy and we're that much better. So, I mean, we've been through a few different coaches, you know, on that side of it, but the core of us have really stayed the same. And then we just try to find the strengths of whoever that person is we hire. Um, the guy that we've got right now, he played uh, a spread uh, read option style football when he was in high school. So he comes in and, and he helps us with some of that stuff. Now we've gotten away from it the last few years, but um, it's just, like you said, finding someone's talents and letting them run with it. Cause all you're doing is hindering yourself and hindering your team. If you can't sit there, and, and swallow your pride a little bit and just go, hey, what's ultimately the goal here? You know, and I've told our guys, if, if we start winning, my assistant coaches are going to get all the credit because I'm the same guy. The only thing that's changed is those guys that came in. And if we keep losing, uh, it's still my fault because I'm still the, the reason that we can't find a way to win. And, uh, you know, I think that side of it has helped them to buy in too, just knowing that, you know, who I am and what I'm trying to get accomplished with everyone. So you, you talk about the big objective, right? The, the main thing, and you are aligned with us in this. And, and again, John said in our correspondence, like our goal is not necessarily to win football games. That's kind of a, 
a byproduct, I guess. Like we, we know that winning football games comes from a certain set of behaviors and characteristics and beliefs and all this stuff that also makes us better husbands, better sons, better dads someday, better employees out in the workforce. How are you guys going about that? Cause that's not an easy conversation all the time. This character development piece that is part and partial to excellence. You know, like we, we believe that. How do you do it though? How do you execute on that thing? Cause it's not always an, an obvious road. Well, I think part of it is, is we need to redefine what success means. Um, yeah. You want to win every game. And communities want you to win every game. I mean, ultimately, I think our goal is to be competitive. Now, we've had our chances at a state championship a couple of years ago and thought we had a chance, you know, the year before or after that. But, you know, stuff happens and you're where you're at. But really, none of us are going to be playing for a state championship, at least not at a consistent level. So what are you really trying to do? And, and that's the thing with us is we sit there and go, you know, I, I don't know if it's a small town thing or if it's an us thing, but we have very few kids that go play at the next level once they step off our field. And so what are those skills that you're ultimately trying to teach? And like you said, at the end of the day, we want them to be a productive part of our society or wherever they move to, to find that spouse that they're going to, you know, honor, cherish, and, and basically, like you said, put on a pedestal and stuff just to, to become better men, become better husbands. And, uh, you know, we try to, uh, emulate that when you know we have our kids come to practice and our players love it and you know it's it's one of those things where I don't know exactly what the magic formula is I mean there's stuff that we've done but again you know anybody that coaches borrows from everybody and so you know we've borrowed um, a different style of parents night um, we live in a community where a lot of our parents can't actually go to football games on Friday night so when you've got a kid walking out and getting announced and represented by a brother or an uncle. I mean, that's one of the last things we want a kid to have to think about before we're trying to get them focused on a football game. And, and uh, so we ended up with our dad's night, we bring the dads in five o'clock game night and uh, they got uh, a chance to get the scouting report from us. And then we take them down into the locker room and they do the whole pregame message with us. And they sit there and that gives them one more chance to be in a locker room. And uh, if you want to see grown men cry, you get into one of those locker rooms and you watch them dress their son and put their straps on and get shoulder pads locked up, you know, and, and we change the way we do mom's night. Uh, my kids know the night before mom's night that uh, you're going to write a letter to mom. It's a handwritten letter. It's going to be two thirds of a page. And I'm going to check. I'm not going to read it. And, uh, you know, we get the kids that argue, well, my mom passed away or whatever else, but there's always that woman in your life that, that, that fills that position and our kids seek that out. So, I mean, it's kind of some of those character things where we try to get the, the parents to buy in because like everybody knows if the parents trust you, they're going to let you take your, their kids wherever, you know? And so that's the big thing. Uh, this last year, something interesting that I've been wanting to do for a while. Um, I don't know if I can say this, but we had uh, wine, women and mom uh, football. So we had the moms uh, got together at a, a local venue and uh, they sat and talked football. I came out and just, I don't know if you want to call it football for dummies, but we just let the moms lead the conversation. Cause again, if you can get mom bought in, your son's going to play, you know, mom's the one that's going to go, no, no, that's not for my boy. That's too dangerous. And you know, so there's that type of community things that we're really trying to bring in. 
And that's, that's cool stuff, coach. And I think you're right. All of us as coaches, we steal, borrow, beg, whatever from other coaches. Right. And, and in order to make our own style. And I think that's important part of becoming a coach, because like you said, it's an incredible responsibility to have these young men in this community and developing them in. And like you said, you might only get four years or five years with them and then they're not playing again. And so what can we give them in that time? So I'm curious where, where does kind of your coaching identity, where does that come from, from your perspective? How was that developed and, and who, who kind of was instrumental in that? Well, I, I think that's a great question. Um, hey, so going back, right. Exactly. Going back. Um, you know, I played for Burndale in high school and, uh, anybody that's been around nine man football or even football a little bit knows who Burndale is, uh, football coach up there still the same coach he coached me he coached my dad uh winning his coach in the state so you sit there and you try to pick some stuff out of what has he done and how did he do it you know um and then at the same time you see things that you don't want to emulate you know so I think the biggest thing especially with our kids nowadays and everybody maybe says it and says it and tries to become it but it's, it's that players coach you know um I the first year that we won the section three years ago um, we had a wide receiver that said, Hey, if this route's open, give me the ball. And I mean, we're talking under a minute left and we're trailing by, by four. And so what do we call Well, if the kid trusts that he can make the play, why shouldn't I trust him? You know, he's the one on the field. Uh, I, I get a sideline view, even our guy up in the press box isn't getting a good view of what's actually happening. And, uh, you know, that year that we made a state run that happens so frequently, <clears throat> uh, we had, we're known for going for fourth downs and no matter where we're at um, in the first round of state, we had a fourth and five in our own territory, probably about the 30 yard line. We took a timeout late in the game and our running back goes, I can get six. All right. What do you want to do? He goes, I want to go around the right side. Sure enough, he got six, you know, so if you can get players to sit there and know their role, know their job and then believe in their ability. I mean, the sky's the limit. I, I, just want to like, again, I've said this before on the podcast, stop, pause it, rewind, listen again. If you can get kids to buy in and believe in what their job is and what their ability is, the sky's the limit. I a hundred percent believe that. And we had a phrase when I was coaching track at Pequot was believe and don't doubt, right? Believe and don't doubt this, this idea of belief is nice, right? I hold it up and I say, I believe that I can do this. But when you are able to come to the next level, which is to say, I actually don't doubt that what I just said is true. I don't doubt my ability or my capacity. Now we unlock you in a completely different way. And when we unlock one, we start to get those dominoes to fall, right? Football is a game of nine. It's a game of 11. It's a game of 30 at the nine man level. Cause you don't have more than that. Right. But you right. might have a hundred kids at some schools. Football is a game where all hundred have to buy in whatever our organization looks like. However, many people we have, it starts by unlocking one person's deep, deep belief in themselves, removing that doubt from them and then freeing them to go and do whatever they want or whatever they believe that they're capable of and saying, whoo, did you see that? <laughs> like, right. He just told me he was going to do it and he went and did it. And it took my breath away. Who wants yeah. to join him? You know what I mean? Like I, I think about that moment in the huddle. I'm going, I want to be there. I want to be next. I want to follow that kid. Right. Yeah. And what are the opportunities that you're given the rest of your student, your athletes, the, your charges, whatever, yeah. when you free one. Right. Well, and that's been our big thing. Uh, kind of probably since we started turning our system around is uh, we call it don't flinch. You know, it's easy for us. Anytime something 
wrong happens, you turn around because it wasn't your fault. So who, who messed up behind me? You know, hey, you get, and we just took it, our guys, and we said, hey, you can't flinch. And then we've gotten to that point as the coaches, and we'll just walk by each other, each other and go, hey, don't flinch. Hey, we got this, you know. And, you know, it, it took probably about three years, and our kids quit flinching. You know, bad things happen in, in life, in, in football, and, and pick whatever you're doing. I mean, in the workplace, how do you overcome that? I think the biggest thing is, is don't flinch. Keep your eyes on what your objective is and just keep going to that point. So I, I'm, I'm just curious now, cause how, how do you, how do you ingrain that? You said it took time, but like, what are kind of the concrete steps to be, creating that system where it's like, Hey, don't flinch means something actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the big things we did is if we notice a kid flinching, we take them out. And it didn't matter who you were. And it might have been just for a play. But, I mean, when, when you pull the best player on a team out, even for one play, everyone understands that, hey, something's, something's not right here. we got to fix it. And, uh, you know, we had a kid his last year was the year that we uh, had our state run for second. When he was a freshman, he was playing linebacker for us. And he'd dive for tackles, and every time he hit the ground, he'd pound the ground. And so we had to sit there and go, hey, don't flinch, you know, and you could tell because as soon as that muddied the mind, there's no way to come over it. You know, so it's one of those things where it, it stinks in football because one play can be a game. You know, uh, you, you look at other sports, basketball and baseball, I, I think I've got a, a chance to make up for it. You know, track's a little bit different and stuff like that. But we look at some of those team sports and I, I, I can't afford to lose a kid but I can't afford to lose him completely. So how do I get him back on track? And, and that's been the big thing. It's just going, Hey, we got each other. We love each other. And uh, you know, we tell our kids after every practice, we love you. Now, the first time you get a freshman sitting there and you tell them you love them, you want to look <laughs> at a, a look, that's exactly it. And uh, you know, after every game, we tell the kids, you know, someone came here to watch you play, whether it's mom, dad, uncle, brother, you know, the guy down the street, go tell them, thank you. You know, they, they took time out to come see you, you know, do something that we love to do, show our appreciation, keep growing it, keep growing the love in the community and, and, and see where that takes you. Cause again, everything comes down to connections in life. You know, where can you make a connection? You have no idea where that one going up to the random guy in the community and saying, Hey, thanks for coming to my game might get you down the street. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, we, we sit there and we have no idea how world, how small the world is until we actually realize how small the world is. So you just recently said, Hey, life is this way. We're going to take some challenges. We're going to take some hard aches. We're going to take some bumps, right? Mm -hmm. In your life, you've had to experience that as well. You know, you shared that you've had two heart attacks. You're a young guy, you're our age. Right. Yeah. And I think about that. My dad had a heart attack at 38. And, um, you know, there's a, a history of that in our family. And so I, I'm concerned about it. I, I ask from, from a perspective of, you know, obviously care as a person, how are you able to rebound from that? What are you able to show your athletes in response to that? What's the message, the, the, the change in your life that you're now going to say, I'm going to demonstrate or, or whatever it might be. I'm just curious about how that has affected and moved you to be a better coach, to be a different coach, to be a different person. Yeah. So maybe going back even a little bit further than that, um, you know, I've got a sister that has down syndrome 
And if you want to talk about uh, someone showing the ultimate love, find someone that has Down syndrome because they love you no matter what. And they just explode with that type of emotion. And, uh, you know, my wife goes, that's honestly what attracted me to you. I mean, obviously it wasn't my looks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So she goes, but the way that you'd help your sister come into church or down the street or whatever it was, she goes, it's just one of those things that, that love that seeing her developed into me. Um, my dad had a brain tumor for 16 years before he passed away, you know, just living life and seeing how that impacts. And then yeah, I had, I've had two heart attacks. I've had a torn Achilles. Um, my wife doesn't let me play old man basketball anymore. Cause she says I'm probably it next time it happens, you know, but, um, you really got to understand that you're here to live and not here to live in fear. And, you know, I'm confident, comfortable. I know where I'm going. I know what's going to happen um, when, when this world is done. Now, you know, it's been scary a couple of times. I got airlifted and I was leaving two little beautiful girls at the time. And then this last one I had just this last May, um, it wasn't quite as serious as the first one, but I mean, take that how you want. I mean, it's still a heart attack, right? But, you know, uh, a wife and three daughters that are, you know, it, it's tough and it gets you emotional and you sit there and you just go, um, what's important in your life and how do you take that time to show the important side of things? Um, you know, when we started turning it around, we worked long hours trying to get stuff back. And once we all got on board, it turned into zoom meetings and it turned into a, Hey, did you watch film this week? Cause I can watch film with my five-year-old sitting next to me, you know? Um, and then, you know, it gives us that family time. I know when we first started turning this around, my daughter hated football. She hated the fall because dad was gone and I don't, I don't get to see you till the last playoff game or whatever it is. And, and now she's gotten to the point where she loves it because I get to spend that time with her and, and she sees that and she sees that this isn't taking my time away. It's another part of who I am. I'm just curious because I think that happens quite often with coaches, especially in, you know, we call whatever you want to call it, turnaround programs, taking over programs that haven't had a lot of success. That There's a lot of upfront time invested. Was that something that you knew going in it was going to take a lot of time or was that just kind of how it worked out? And, and as you got into it, got more comfortable, got more people on board, you were able to step back and say, hey, we can do this more efficiently. Or was it something? I guess my question is yeah. going in, did you know ahead of time and – if so, what kind of conversation with your wife or your family was that in terms of trying to manage that? Yeah, the big thing was I didn't know what I didn't know, you know, and I think that's true in life. Uh, you know, I've been an offensive guy forever. So when I started, I put less time into the defense because if you got to score to win, no, you got to keep someone out of the end zone to win. I mean, it's just some of that type of stuff. And um, so I got guys that were passionate. I mean, the one assistant coach that we have, I, I don't know. I mean, I know he goes to bed at night and then wakes up in the middle of the night and watches film because he just loves it. But he still takes that time with the family. He's still out at the lake. He's still, you know, all that other stuff. And so to be honest with you, when it started, when I got guys on board, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so as it started to morph, it came to, hey, if we want to take this step and fix this problem that we have, we're going to have to get together so we're all presented the same way. Um, we had a, a new fresh out of college coach join us this year. Um, and 
he's a O-line guy and none of us were O-linemen, but you look at us and you might think we were, but um, <laughs> he sits there and he goes, this is what we need to do. And we go, well, we can't teach it this way because this is what the kids think that means. You know, we, we teach for our linemen low hands on. Well, and that's the simplest that we can get, especially in the nine man game. When I've got um, this year, two of my linemen are starting running backs probably next year. You know, it's just where can you get your nine best athletes on? I can't take the time to, to teach a kid, you know, little shuffle step, six inch step, engage. No, it's low hands on and then you go be an athlete. But uh, the, this new coach that we um, brought in, I can't even think of the term right now that he used, but it, was, it wasn't low hands on, but that's what he was trying to say. We just said, hey, when you say this to our kids, this is what they think. You know, and so that's maybe one of the biggest things in coaching anything is, is knowing how you can get your kids to grasp what you're trying to tell them. You know, and if, if they grasp it, like we said before, the sky's the limit. Uh, and I was just reading something where it said that, like geniuses don't break down complex things. They exploit simple things, right? The, the best of us don't spend a ton of time trying to get to the complexity of something. We actually want to get to the simplest execution possible and then repeat it in a way that, you know, nobody else can, can manage or deal with because you're just that good at it in a simple way. And I think like we language terminology, all that stuff is a part of that conversation. How do we get it to our kids in the simplest possible way? How do we get it to the people that we're leading in the simplest possible way, what they already know and they already understand. I think, you know, as coaches, and it doesn't matter the sport, when we get lost in the weeds of what we know and we stop listening to what the other person is, well, we do that thing. We just call it something different. Well, no, that's not what we call it. These silly, ridiculous conversations yeah. that we have all been a part of. And then you, you get, an hour and a half later or seven hours later or seven weeks later. And you're like, Oh, we were doing the same thing. Okay. Let's, yeah. let's try and get to that point as quickly as we can, because then we get to that efficiency and we can take the time with our families. We can, we can move to the, to the next point in the conversation. Well, and it, it really doesn't, I mean, it, it's going to depend on who you ask. We don't do anything special. I mean, yeah. we really run three run plays and we have a passing tree. So at any given time, we can get a kid wherever we want. Defensively, we're so simplistic. But if you're on the other side of the ball, it's hard to see those things, you know, because you're so focused on the big side of it that you can't see what we think is simplistic. And we've got the kids to realize that it's simplistic. Now, whether it is or not, they think it is. So here we go, you know. And, and you know, I told someone, if you want to pick my brain, it's not going to take more than three minutes. You know, in the first two minutes, are going to be introducing each other. So, yeah. I mean, it's just some of that type of stuff that how simple can you make it and, 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 and get the kids just being athletes, enjoying what they do. So how do you incorporate that into practice? Because I think there's a lot of coaches and we go into that trap all the time where it's the sophistication bias, right? It's new drills. It's new blah, 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 all the things, right? But when you talk about having three run plays and a, and a passing tree on offense, how do you structure practice around that that gives your guys the confidence to say, hey, we're going in and we can execute any of these things? Right. Well, you know, we, I think, have done a nice job of showing the kids what we think is important. Um, the last couple of years, we've taken the first 45 minutes to an hour of our practice lifting weights. And, I mean, you look at uh, a practice where you've got an hour and a half with a kid and, and we're taking half of that to lift. 
those kids better realize how much importance we're putting on that. And then really what happens is we just become more efficient. Um, I mean, when you guys played and you can think of coaches and stuff like that, there's a lot of standing around. There's a lot of guys not doing anything because it's a, a two-man tackling drill or something like that. It's just how can we become more efficient to get what we want to accomplish done? And, and honestly, um, summer camps have helped because, you know, going into a new team, you don't know the dynamics or the character of that team until you actually get them on a field. And it's, it's what do we need to work on this year? Um, you know, two years ago, we had a quarterback that I think could have made any pass on a field at any given spot. The kid that we got this year is a great passer, but he's also a, a scrambler and can run. Well, we had to go from trying to work on timing stuff with the receivers for that quarterback to getting this kid to kind of learn how to read and when to trust his legs. And so you just find ways to incorporate, and it's, it's not new drills. You know, you're just taking what you've done and morphing it to what you're struggling with. Hey, we struggle with stutter steps. So we talk to the track coach and say, hey, how can we get rid of a false step? Or, you know, we sit there and go, we need to get our kids lower. So we work time on the shoot and just make them walk around the field for a while, just low and bent over. You know, if you want to go get water, you got to get down, you know, some of that type of stuff. And I'd love to say, you know, we've cut out conditioning. Uh, we haven't, but we've minimized it because what's conditioning doing? I mean, yes, you need to be in shape and, and I think we've won games because we've been in better shape than someone else. But how did you get in that shape? Receivers love running drills. D-backs love guarded receivers. You know, running backs want to go through and hit down arm pads. Well, you just crank up the intensity. And all of a sudden, this kid doesn't even realize he's conditioning when he's going through all this stuff. Yeah, can we, can we dictate tempo in such a way that it's also getting us to the place where or we're getting better in another area as well. And that's, that's like habit stacking in different parts of life, right? Can we, can we put two things together that are going to allow us a more efficient outcome? You know, and I, I think that's incredibly valuable advice because we ignore some of the stuff that's right in front of us too often. Right. And I think that goes back to the volunteer conversation. Also, I think a lot of us would rather, I don't know about rather, but we feel like we have to do it alone. No, there's somebody in the community who is sick of hearing uh, Hancock football sucks. Mm -hmm. They're sick of saying, I'm not doing anything about it. I can complain, but I'm not doing it. There are people out there in all of our communities and all of our situations where they want to advocate for us. They want to be a part of the solution. They just don't know how. And we sit and go, man, nobody wants to be a part of the solution because we're not asking the right questions or talking to the right people. Like the, the whole thing is a continuation in my mind. And I think you've done an incredible job of finding ways to tap into how do we do this better? Always being willing to ask that question. What is, what is better look like? How do we do it better? Is that a natural thing for you? Is this something you think about or is it just uh, being a causation type person? Hey, we do this. We're, we're going to get better. I, I think part of it is just a little bit of who I am. I mean, it's hard to change your behaviors and your traits and whatever else. Now we can morph them, if you will, to, to become uh, more humble, more uh, open for criticism. I mean, we had a game this year where uh, we beat one of the top teams in the state and uh, we're out after the game. We had a dad come up and go, what's wrong with your defense? Well, I don't know. We won 40 to 12 and they've been scoring 30 on everyone this year. It was just 12, 18 at halftime until we figured out what we needed to do. But you've got to understand that you're going to get that criticism. 
and it's not necessarily coming from a negative spot, but that's the big thing that I think we're going to have to overcome now is our kids. Um, you know, our, our juniors have lost two games in the last three years and they don't think losing is an option. Like, what do you mean you lose a game? It's like, yeah, guys, we can lose a game. And we proved we could this last year. We've got to find where we're not content, how we're going to keep moving. And it comes down to humbling ourselves um, and getting our players to understand that it's not what you've done on the field. It's what those guys before you have done to get us to where we're at. And what are you going to sacrifice to make sure that we stay at that high level? Um, I mean, it, Hancock football got from the place where nobody had a clue who we were till now you talk about nine man football with anyone that knows nine man, they'll go, yeah, we know where that's at or who they are, or that type of stuff. And that's something that, you know, there's a hard line between pride and arrogance. Be proud of it. You know, you don't need to rub it into anybody, but be proud of what you got. So how do you incorporate that coach, that pride in, in the program? Um, I mean, you talked about, having your current players and your upcoming players understand that they're standing on the shoulders of the guys that came before them. How do you, how do you help them understand that? Because I know as a 17 year old, 16 year old young man, it's hard to not say, no, no, I'm the one out there making plays coach. Right. I think one of the big things that we've done uh, is with our film session that we have on Mondays with the players, you know, we'll lift. And at the end of the film, our lifting session, we'll do film, you know, and, uh, we don't care who you are. We're going to show what you did wrong. And it's, it's humbling for that kid. Like you said that, uh, Hey, I made all those catches today. I made all those tackles. Yep. You're right. But, uh, look what you did here. And we go play someone a little bit better and that's not going to go through. And it's having those direct conversations with kids too, pulling them aside and just saying, Hey, we need to talk. Hey, love what you're doing on the field, but what you're doing off the field is, is going to bring us down. How can we fix it? And, and the problem could be anything from stuff that's happened at home to girlfriend problems to, to who knows what. I mean, that's the, the beauty of working with 30-something kids in my case or whatever a coach has on their squad is every day is different because you have no idea what that human being's going through that day. Okay, last co question, Coach, and it's somewhat serious and also not. Jamie and I joke about the owl being maybe the worst mascot in the world. Can you tell us how you've come to embrace the owl and why that's still your mascot? Cause that seems like a weird mascot. <laughs> well, I think we're the only one in the state. <laughs> I mean, it's probably true. I mean, how many Raiders and Lakers and tigers. And I mean, we're the only one. You so, hear the shots across the bow, John Raiders, I, 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 Lakers, both of them. tigers. <laughs> My it. goodness. Patriots. I mean, where yeah. do you want to go? You know, some of that stuff, but uh, <laughs> no, I mean, in all seriousness, um, our mascot before I came was like the old red owl from the grocery store, like mascot. And so we've, <laughs> we've tried to turn him into something a little bit nastier and, and uh, you know, we think we've got him pretty looking pretty mean right now. So um, I, I don't know. I think it's one of those things where uniqueness is something that uh, you say owls and it's either us or nobody has a clue or they're going to temple or another college or something that they might think of an owl. So um, we, the funny thing you asked that too is, is I think right about when we started turning the ship around, we actually put out a bid on a, a website for someone to design us a new logo. 
And so the current logo we've got right now was uh, something that got put out on bid and ransomed or however you want to put it. And that was the best one that we found. So we like it. Uh, it's unique now where it's not necessarily copying. It's, it's some of that type of stuff. But again, when we fly around the field, what better mascot fits than being an owl? Coach, I kid, and I appreciate you taking that one in stride. I, I do think it's incredibly unique, and I think it's cool to have pride. And coming from a small town, both of us, we know how much athletics mean not only to the community, but to those individuals. And so we certainly appreciate it. And if we didn't have respect for you before, which we certainly did, um, I, I couldn't be more grateful for your sharing your story. And, man, I, every time we have these conversations, it's like, man, I'd love – to one, play for you. Two, if I had kids, I'd love for them to play for you. And so hopefully your community has shown you that support too. And I appreciate your time. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on guys. Uh, you've made a lifelong fan. Keep doing what you guys are doing. It's great stuff. The owls, Jamie, a feared mascot and wise, you know, wise. wise. Yeah. And I think listening to that, talking to Chad, clearly he's got things headed in the right direction. And it was a cool conversation to have with him about small town football, but really about life. Absolutely. And, and this thing that has been just on my mind a ton recently is the capacity to act, right? Mm -hmm. The capacity to take action first for that to be the bias that is, is in our life. And they, and they say, don't flinch, right? That's, that's the way that they say this thing is like, no, we're going to, we're going to take action first. We're going to step to the plate when it's called upon us to do that thing. And, and when we flinch, we want to learn from it. So we're going to take you out. We're going to coach you up and we're going to get you back in. Maybe if it's just for a plate, maybe just even give you some recognition of the fact that you did it to me, that stands out as, as a tremendous way to communicate to your people act, take action, go move, do the thing. And we'll, we'll deal with the consequences. The consequences aren't the thing that we're concerned about. The thing that we're concerned about is not having the courage to take action when it matters most. Yeah. And he talked about doing that in, in terms of, Hey, I can't afford to lose my kid for one play, but my, my the alternative is potentially losing them for the whole game, right. The rest yeah. of the way. And, and I think, you know, you and I talk a lot with individuals or teams about, okay, how do we recognize and reset for ourselves? Well, we can't always do that. And the high school kids certainly can't always do that. And so, like you said, that just that representation of, hey, come out of the game for maybe it's a play. Maybe I call timeout and I say something to you, whatever it is, it's helping them to recognize, hey, I flinched. Now we got to reset. Now we can get back on track. And it's it, maybe we don't lose them for the whole game. Well, the language doesn't matter. Whatever we, whatever we call it doesn't matter. We call it reset routines when we work with groups. They say, don't flinch. We're going to recognize. We're going to point out. Flinch. Cool, right? But this is true of us in life. We can get bogged down in the spiral of the negative self-talk, the negative impression, the negative perception of ourself or the people around us. And it requires us to do something about it to stop it sometimes. And I am just as guilty of this. I want to just flee the situation. I want to run away and hope it goes away on its own. What I've learned in working with athletes and working with organizations and in my own personal work is that that is a really ineffective way to actually create change, right? Sometimes it does go away on its own, but guess where we got back to status quo, 
where we were before it happened. If we want it to not happen again, if we want to take action to do something about it, if we want something done, we have to move. We have to change. We have to do something. And I, I love it. I think it's a great way. And then I, you know, I, when he was talking about don't flinch, it's the same thing as go out and find volunteers, go out and engage your community, go out and change the way that we're doing things so that we might have more success. You're still accountable to it. You're still responsible. I loved how he said that too. Like, Hey, I'm still the guy. If we win, you guys are going to get the credit because you guys are the ones that change something. If we lose, I still got to find a way to make us better. It's still on me. Yeah. The other, the other thing, and it was a question he referred to at the beginning, you know, when we were talking about the coach situation, the volunteers is what am I doing to fix it? Right. And that question is true in, in every walk of life, every relationship you have, every job, every sport, every whatever, when things aren't going how you want them to go or how you think they should be going, what are you doing to fix it? And that goes to your action thing, right? It's not only, Hey, I'm asking the question, but am I willing now to take a step and to do something about that? And those coaches were. And so I appreciate that question and that reminder, Jamie, that, Hey, we can complain about stuff all we want and we can talk about how it's not exactly how we want it or how our life turned out the way we wanted it, whatever, fill in the blank. But until you ask yourself that question and are willing to do something about it, what are you willing to do? in order to fix your situation. We appreciate you joining us and listening as we continue to share incredible stories of incredible people doing cool things, which all, you know, lead back to living eyes up, living on purpose, living with intention and getting better every day. And so Jamie, I appreciate you listeners. We appreciate you joining us. And as always live eyes up.